everyone, and welcome to the Empower Women series of the month of October. Uh, and today we have actually two people from our own company, which we thought it would be ideal to start a conversation about essential planning and investing basics for young adults. So we have uh, Susie Boreta Panduco. Um, she is a wealth advisor at Lexington and deals with all kinds of different clients from multi-generation to business owners, to divorces, all, all across the spectrum. And uh, we also have Carrie Luria, who is actually a registered life planner at Lexington Wealth Management and, um, and has been in the industry for a long time. So I have seen it all. Uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to start with a super basic conversation, which is how do, how do we approach or how do you, how should I start thinking about the beginnings of investing or the beginnings of state planning when I'm speaking about to young adults, like how, how should I just like frame that conversation? I think the best way to start is to poke around a little bit and try to find out what they might already know um, and, mm -hmm. and start to understand what knowledge they have because some of it's probably flawed. <laughs> so, you know, asking questions is always a great place mm -hmm. to start. And then from, from there, we think these conversations really should start at, as soon as, as the, the young adult has their first W-2, because their first W-2 is their first opportunity to formally save for retirement in, in what we know as structured savings accounts, Roth IRAs. Right. Yeah, this is something I uh, I was terrible at when I was starting just working. <laughs> and, um, and, it's, and it's so easy to push out. Right. It's so easy to find a different priority until somebody tells you, what are you doing? So uh, in, in my case, there was nobody to tell me for many, many years, like, this is what you should be doing. Right. And, and there well, especially was always... being so young, especially being Thank so you. young, Thank like you. when you have your first, well, when you have your first job, typically you have your first job at age 16. And when you get that first paycheck, you're not saying, oh, great, I have this paycheck. I'm going to put it right into my Roth. And I think, yeah. you know, when we talk to clients about that, you know, the, the, their child or their grandchild doesn't actually have to be the one to con start contributing to the Roth IRA. Um, you know, the parent or the grandparent can actually gift to a Roth IRA up to, you know, the $6,000 limit or, you know, whatever their earned income was, um, the, the lower of the two. So, you know, it's kind of a neat way to start gifting and to start teaching them at a young age about the power of investing and compounding. Yeah, so let's talk about it's, that particular. It's not, oh, it's not in, in their horizon because they we, we're facing this right now. Our daughter just got her first W-2 this year for summer camp. And I don't know, she's even made $1,000. And of course, she wants to spend all of that. I get it. It's not a lot of money. So we talked about what it means and put in a little incentive of, all right, we'll match every dollar that you put into that account. And look at you. <laughs> Did she put a thousand dollars into the account? Well, she's waiting for her mother to set up the account and then we'll fund it. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> 
yeah. Well, that is a that's kind of like I'm, I'm both what you were mentioning uh, is something I, I wanted to ask, like the, the power of compounding and started starting early and, and the consequences of those early dollars later on in life. And actually not so much later on, like when you're 50 or 60, sometimes when you're in your 30s, you realize, oh, my God, what I did on my 20s, like you can really see the difference. Um, so how if, if somebody's listening to this and is in that age group, like between 16 and 20 something, like how would you explain that? Like the power of compounding. Well, do, <laughs> I think we have a really nice slide to kind yeah. of depict this. Um, do you, are you going to put it up or? Yeah. And, and for those listening, uh, uh, we'll definitely put the slides on the, on the notes of the podcast so everybody can listen to it uh, or see it. Uh, let me just put it right up for everybody. There you go. I'm trying. <laughs> the idea is that you, if you set yourself on a path to saving and investing earlier, then the power of compounding works to your advantage. So what, we, what we're showing in our visual is an example of three different people who, both, who all decided to save $6,000 a year, but that $6,000 a year went in at different ages and for different time periods. So the most compelling discrepancy or example is between two people, one who saved a total of $60,000. So $6,000 a year from the time they started when they were age 20. So they started young, but only saved for 10 years. And then another individual who also saved $6,000 a year, but didn't get started till he was 30 and then proceeded to save for 35 years. So he socked away a total of over $200,000 versus mm -hmm. someone else who saved 60,000. And by the time they got to age 65, they pretty much had the same amount of money because mm -hmm. what happened is the earlier saver took advantage of compounding. Their money was earning money and it just compounds and snowballs upon itself. So they started earlier in all those years of growth, grows upon itself, grows upon itself. Um, it, yeah, that's it, interesting. It's, it's hard to articulate the visual on it, I, I think is much more compelling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I will make sure we put the visual, but but I, I think this is one of the perfect examples where consistency at an early age is sometimes better than just big chunks later in life. Like consistency right. is the key for all these investments. And, right. and, and that sometimes got no, I was going to say not only that, but it also, you know, it sets the tone for good financial behavior early. So if you're starting in your early 20s, you're going to always have you're building on that mentality so that as you get older and as you have more income and you're you you're faced with more financial decisions, it'll really kind of bring you back to that. OK, I'm very financially, you know. I, I'm, I'm good about thinking about saving about what my goals are and just kind of even starting that from an early age is super powerful as well. Right. And for most young adults, their income and what they spend it on initially is totally discretionary. You know, they're not saddled with the obligations that you get when you become an adult, whether it be rent or a mortgage or children or education. So 
these young adults are really primed for having some discipline and living without that money because it's really just okay well i could go to chick-fil-a or i could put it in my roth ira <laughs> i'll pretend i won't have to edit that chick-fil-a okay. so <laughs> um well let, let's talk about that uh theme in particular which is uh, at certain ages you don't have the responsibilities but there's definitely some prioritization of what you should do with your money when you have disposable money. And, and I think you guys had some list of what you should kind of do first uh, to get you ahead of the game at a younger age. Uh, do you mind expanding a little bit on that? Nope, not at all. So, you know, as we mentioned, starting a discipline of, of saving early on only benefits you later. So, mm -hmm. so having that locked down. And then as you move forward in life, you will find that uh, you're going to have to start understanding and managing credit and debt mm -hmm. and what all of that means. Um, credit is not a bad thing. Debt is not a bad thing. Um, you will need it at some point, most likely in your life, if you are ever planning mm -hmm. on purchasing a house. Most of us don't have the, the cash to pay for it outright. So, Starting to be aware of that at an early age is important too. Um, so having access to credit, understanding how to use it, and, and being responsible about paying it off. So many young adults use a, a debit card as a method of payment, which is great because that's a, a straight line to their bank account. But they need to start building their credit so that when they move forward and want to borrow money, they have a credit history that lenders can look at um, and they'll say that they're good borrowers in good standing. But if you do get yourself into debt, either, you know, could be student loan debt, um, sometimes auto debt, could even be credit card debt. The, you know, your financial priority, number one, most likely is to start being right. aggressive about paying down the debt right. um, yeah. because most lenders uh, charge you double digits, especially credit cards, mm -hmm. to borrow mm -hmm. that debt. And the reality is you probably won't be able to earn more than that out in the marketplace if you were to invest your money. So paying down the debt um, is really important, and that's a number one priority. And then after that, you want to start building uh, an emergency fund, so have some cash savings set aside for, um, you know, if, if you find yourself in a situation where you've lost your job temporarily, you'll need to rely on that. If you have an unexpected expense come up, you'll need to be able to have the resources to pay for it. Yeah. So, you know, thinking yeah. about priorities, want to knock out debt, want to build up an emergency fund, yeah. got to start saving for retirement. There's lots of competing goals um, and it can be yeah. and overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I would add to that, and this is probably, a, this is a real life example. It happened to me, which was, I was one of those, like, if I can buy it in cash, I'll just buy it in cash. And, and that's kind of like how I live a lot of my 20s until I face the decision of purchasing a car or getting to a lease of a car. And I was like, oh, that's, I'm doing great. I'm just going to have the best rate. And then obviously, like, oh, you don't have a lot of credit because you've just been paying off everything all your life. And, and that's where the strategy would have come really handy uh, early in the years, in my 20s, to, to get a better credit by the first time. In my case, it was a car or at least enough right. a car to make purchase. And, and I'm sure everybody faces that at some point. It's like, I don't want to have debt. I just want to pay it off. Mm -hmm. but you definitely need to start thinking of the bigger purchases you might do later in life for that. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the other thing that, that I wanted to talk about, and this is probably when you move into like your 
their thirties uh, and depending on your income, but buying a house, buying a house is a big thing uh, or saving mm-hmm. for a house. Um, how should a young adult start thinking about this huge accomplishment in somebody's life? There are so many costs that come with, you know, purchase purchasing a house. So, you know, there's the mortgage expense, there's the monthly, um, there's the monthly property taxes, you know, there's insurance, there's, you know, furnishing, which is, you know, you, you buy this house and all of a sudden you got to fill it. Um, and then there are, you know, the utilities that you would pay, whether you're renting or you're purchasing a new house. And then of course your rental expense hopefully drops. And, and, you know, when you look at where mortgage rates are today and what, you know, people are paying for rent around, you know, where we live, that monthly cost might actually be pretty similar, but the big thing and the hardest thing, especially for, you know, people in their late twenties, early thirties is saving up for that down payment, that down payment, especially in our area, you know, putting down 20% is, is a lot. So, you know, I think when you, when you want to save for that, you got, you kind of almost have to like, first of all, you have to, you should meet with a mortgage broker, a mortgage lender to kind of see, they'll kind of weigh your income, your other debts and kind of back into what is a comfortable um, budget for you for, for purchase of a house. And then from there, you know, you kind of just, you, you then you got to save. So you got to save for that down payment. So for me, you know, my husband and I, we like to, we like to pick a savings target every month. And then from there, you know, we put that amount aside and then, um, and then we, we kind of live on the rest. So you can kind of base that savings target based on how much, you know, how, you know, what is the, what's the time horizon for you buying that house? Is it a year from now? If it's a year from now, how much do you have to save for that down payment? And then how much does that equate to monthly savings? Um, so that's kind of one way to do it. Um, but it's it's extremely hard, especially if you're you know coming off of having to pay down student debt. And, and I think that's one, that's definitely one, um, one thing that people in their late twenties, thirties have to kind of overcome and, and it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And you've got, again, it goes back to the, the competing goals because you're paying yeah. down your debt, you're saving to a retirement plan, most likely on some case. And, you know, what we often will encourage young adults to do is if you do have the ability to participate in an employer plan, mm-hmm. then at least contribute the minimum that's required on your behalf to get the maximum employer contribution. Yeah. If your employer is going to kick in, that's, that's free money and you don't want to give that away. And I understand that there may not be a lot of space in the budget, but that one is just a, 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 a gimme and, and you should right. definitely take advantage of it. And when we talk with folks about, okay, well, you're thinking about buying a house and here's a list of possible expenses. Uh, another thing that we would recommend is, Let's put some real numbers around that and make an estimate Mm -hmm. and pretend that you're already living in the house. Pretend that you already have these expenses. Mm -hmm. So if your rent is $1,200, but the cost of owning a home would be, you know, $2,000, then pretend that you're spending that extra $800 and live without it and see how it feels and see if you can manage it. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think you both uh, pointed out something that a lot of people don't think about when buying a home, which is beyond the 
the, just the list price of the house. Like there's all these other lifestyle changes that come with owning a house that you need to be budgeting and preparing mm-hmm. for way before you buy the house. Um, I, I would also, I know you have already talked about paying off your debt, but I want to be very specific in one because I think we would do a disservice if we don't talk about it. A lot of people have student loans and this is one of those loans that people carry for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And it does affect how your capacity for credit as you get a, as, as you're an adult. So I don't know if you want to make any comments on this or maybe just uh, just give an opinion on it, but definitely is one thing that I consider try to pay it off, <laughs> try to, to get it off your plate as much as possible. Definitely. And, and, you know, a lot of graduates may find themselves with a portfolio of student loans. Mm -hmm. Um, And what one wants to be cautious of or or cognizant of is there, first of all, any opportunity for loan forgiveness, depending on the field that you're working in um, and and look for opportunities to take advantage of that. Or given where interest rates are at this point in time, you may be able to consolidate your debt or re-roll it into something that has a lower interest rate and is much more manageable. um, And the cost of that debt will be lower over time. But again, you don't want to privatize your and consolidate your debt if you're going to give up an opportunity for forgiveness. So be careful about that. There is a a website, it's called loanbuddy.com. And it will help you, you you know, you populate your information and it'll help you evaluate what options are out there. And one thing that we we like to caution folks on is to don't fall into the trap of how much can you afford to pay every month? Um, Because that sounds good from a budgeting perspective, but typically what happens is when you focus on the monthly payment, you end up with a much longer term for your loan and you will end up paying much more interest over time yeah. on that loan. So be careful of that because it's really the total cost of the borrowing that you want to be aware of. And we can certainly help evaluate that um, and, and would welcome those conversations if folks need that guidance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important too. Uh, that, and, and again, this being uh, mostly focused on how young adults start thinking about this, mm-hmm. is if you are still in that age group of deciding where you're going for college, in like trying to decide costs, mm-hmm. this should be considered. Like this is something that uh, people my age, I'm 35, they're still dealing with. And they went to college 15, 20 years ago, right? And, and they are still working through their debt. So consider where you go for college uh, should include a conversation mm-hmm. of how much you're going to be owning after and, and how much is going to affect you uh, through your life. So, yeah. so, so I just, I, I wanted to mention that. Um, the, the, the last thing I wanted to kind of like talk a little bit about, which uh, obviously relates more to what we do here at Lexington, a little bit on the investment side of, of, of things is, Starting to invest is something, but where to invest can be tricky at certain ages and access of what kind of investments you get. Uh, I think uh, there are resources out there, but they're always a little biased or they all have their little hint of like buy a product with me kind of thing. So I don't know if you can uh, maybe approach that conversation of how should a young adult start thinking about their investments too or, and where, where to go and the options that they have. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I I think, first of all, it's important for young adults to understand the difference between Mm -hmm. saving and investments, um, because savings 
are typically something that falls into a cash account, a money market, mm-hmm. a savings account, yeah. and that's your emergency fund. Right. And it's really yeah. not going to do very much for you, but it's important. So there's saving and then there's investing. And most young adults fall or come come face to face with the idea of investing when they start their job and have an employer-sponsored retirement plan. Um, and those programs often have target date funds, which are asset allocation, broadly diversified, mm-hmm. um, or you could make your own mix. But it's important to also understand what that world of investment opportunity looks like. If you think about mm-hmm. broad asset classes, cash, bonds or fixed income, mm-hmm. stocks or equity, and recognizing the, the risks that are associated with each of those kinds of investments. Um, you know, you can certainly, there are resources um, for self-starters who are interested in, in managing their own portfolio, or you could rely on a, a financial advisor, which is what, what we do. I mean, we offer objective advice. We seek to be your fiduciary. Um, yeah. and, and having those conversations is, is important. There are online opportunities, uh, websites like Betterment, where mm-hmm. if you're just starting out, very low cost um, diversification. But you know, it's important to understand what you're stepping into. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing when you start investing, something to understand is kind of a time horizon. So now when we talk about, you know, retirement for a young adult, that could be like 40 plus years away. And so that's a very, very long time horizon. So if you just take that into consideration, you might say, okay, I want more of my portfolio allocated to stocks and equities so I can get that upside growth. Um, and maybe not so much in the bonds and the fixed income, the more stable assets. Um, but another thing to, to consider when, when looking at your asset allocation is, you know, what's my appetite for risk? Maybe I don't like to see the volatility in the market, yeah. you know, maybe so with with the stocks and the equities, you know, that's more opportunity for growth, but it also has more volatility. So it's really kind of finding that sweet spot between the two. And, you know, that's what we help a lot of our clients with is kind of allowing them to see what asset allocation is right for them, taking into consideration all of their, you know, income, savings, spending, and, you know, what is the asset allocation that they need in order to meet all of their goals, you know, once they reach retirement. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely one of the most important decisions that you can make when you get started investing. Yeah. And I think you guys, you both opened the conversation today with like, this all changes depending on everybody's situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's something I wanted to, and to close the conversation today, I wanted to talk about, which is, um, the majority of people start this journey alone. They start on their own, right. Like, uh, start saving at some point uh, when they are in their twenties, but life changes. Uh, they might get married. They might get divorced. They also might get a parent that passes away and they inherit some money or they might just somehow right. uh, come across uh, some difficult medical expenses and then suddenly it changes. So the constant on this is that you do have to reevaluate your goals often, uh, even yeah. from when you're a young adult to uh, as you grow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. So, um, I have a last question and I ask this on every podcast and, uh, and, and mm-hmm. feel free to, to dodge it if you don't want to answer it. But, uh, if, if I had to start tomorrow with one thing 
in a positive direction towards a good state plan or a good or, or start investing or thinking about finance in my world, what would be that first step that I should do tomorrow? My advice would be to um, automate and accumulate. So <laughs> if, I like that one. It, that it, is a very great starts, way to put it. It starts with yeah. that first step of making the decision to, to have a structured plan. And if it's scheduled and if it's automated and if it's going into a, an account that is not your checking account where the money flows in and out, you kind of forget about it. And it starts to build on itself. And there's a little bit of hesitation, I feel, if you have to go and tap that money and move it back in to cover your expenses. Oh, but I've been working so hard to save that. So start small, you know, even if it's $25 a month, you get comfortable missing it and then reevaluate it and bring it up to $30 a month. Um, but awesome. to the extent that you can take that first step and just have it scheduled, have it automated, be dedicated about it, you'll you'll quickly reap the benefits and see that balance grow and start yeah. to feel really good about it. Nice. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's something that I do personally. I think that's kind of how I started my own personal savings journey, just kind of you know, I have one account that gets some of my paycheck, another account that gets the other. And one I don't see, it's out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, from there, as it starts to accumulate, you know, then you can start to make some of these decisions about investing or, you know, what do I want to do with this money? Is it going to go towards a future down payment? You know, it's, it, I think that's 100% the, the, the first step that somebody should take. Wow, I think uh, you need to copyright that automated. And, uh, I know, I love accumulate. that. Well, I, I love that. I don't know where you heard it before, but it's a very good one. I don't think I, I made it up. I think I may have read it somewhere. So I'm uh, not going to take credit for it, but yeah. it's a good one. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, this is just uh, thinking of those like 30, 40 years ago, or even like 25 years ago, or less than that, when people couldn't automate things, they actually had to cut checks and send them for investment. True. And how easy it is now to start investing, at least on the logistical side of things, yes. uh, but it also allows for a lot of bad decisions along the way, just because it makes <laughs> it easier, right? Um, well, thank you for thank you for your time today. Uh, I hope this was very useful to everybody listening. And if you have any questions regarding any of the topics that we covered today, feel free to reach out to Carrie or Susie or myself, and then uh, we'll we'll make sure that that you get your answer back uh, ASAP. Uh, but until next time, this was the uh, Empower Women series with the Love of Silver. So thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Susie. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Have a great day. Lexington Wealth Management is a group of investment professionals registered by Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered independent investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referred herein will be profitable. Past performance is not an indicative of current or future performance, and it's not guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as a general market commentary and does not constitute 
investment advice. Lexington Wealth Management and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data on other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided at the date of reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Lexington Well Management and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.